Welcome to episode 35 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, friends, this is Melanie. I have a quick announcement before we begin. As you likely know, the re-release of the What When Wine Diet, which is called What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, is now available to pre-order on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. If you read the original book, this version is about 80% new content, and it has 50 amazing gluten-free recipes by celebrity chef Arian Resnick. But I have a special offer for listeners of our podcast. If you pre-order that book and send a picture of your receipt to 
pre-order at ifpodcast.com. I'll send you a few fun things. First, I'll go ahead and send you the holiday recipes from the book. So that is a turkey with apple cranberry chutney, a root veggie mash, which is sort of like mashed potatoes without potatoes, a pumpkin pie, and a paleo pie crust recipe. And those are all just amazing. They also have wine pairings with them as well. You'll also get access to an online quiz to figure out your perfect IF approach. That'll be available starting November 13th. And then lastly, you'll be entered into a drawing to win a phone or a Skype call with me. So that'll be super fun, and I would love to talk to you. So yes, please pre-order that book and send a copy of your receipt to pre-order at ifpodcast.com. All right, thanks so much. Now enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 35 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am doing great. How about you? I'm good. Yeah, we're just rolling right along through the the holiday season. Yep, it's crazy. And as we just talked about before we started recording, I'm actually moving right now, which is a lot. Moving is a lot. It's always way more than you expect it will be. Well, there's so many, yeah, so many details that you have to work out. And it's always just... Like I look at everything that I have and I'm like, oh, it's not that much, but then it just takes so much longer. Now I just want to throw away everything ever. Yeah. I want to become like a Buddhist monk and have no possessions and live in a cave. Not really, but. <laughs> well, you know, I um, <laughs> I totally feel you. We have been in this house since 2005 and when we moved in, our boys were let me think they were like five and six or something like that or seven. Anyway, they were they were little. They were going into third grade and kindergarten at, when we moved into the house. And so we have like everything <laughs> crammed up in the attic and it's gonna be uh yeah. We should probably start dealing with that now. <laughs> yeah. Well actually my family situation okay, there's just stuff everywhere. I have a storage unit in LA, so there's stuff in that there. We also just sold our house and moved our house in Memphis. So we have stuff in storage units here in Atlanta because we're building a new townhome. And then we have my my parents have an apartment. Basically, there's just stuff everywhere. We just don't need stuff, I've decided. just We just need to live our lives. And that's all. Yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) from what I've I've heard people talk about who do an intermittent fasting lifestyle – you tend to naturally want to pare down your possessions to go along with it. That's something I hear that's very common. People become to take a more minimalist approach in other areas as well. So that makes sense. When you're in the clean fasted state, it's kind of similar to the idea of not carrying stuff with you all the time. It's true. So I really haven't bought, you know, a lot of new stuff. I used to, you know, always be in the search of the latest and greatest thing I needed to buy. And now I'm like, eh, I've got enough. But it's just, it's something we hear a lot. So That's another so benefit of the intermittent fasting lifestyle. It's so much more than just when you're going to eat. <laughs> I know. It makes you embrace a minimalist Zen Buddha mindset. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> wow. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? All right. Oh, and then one last thing I will say, though. I've never sold stuff before, like using online systems like Facebook Marketplace. Have you used that? Are you familiar with that? I am familiar with it. I have not sold anything on Facebook. I've I've sold things on eBay back in the day when we had like all these toys we were getting rid of at one point. Yeah. Well, I'd done like Craigslist before, which I don't know, just feels more sketchy. (laughs) Um, But I really like Facebook Marketplace because you can, A, people respond really quick. People in your area, you can see the people's profiles so you can kind of gauge if they're a real person, which they all seem to be real people. It's less anonymous, I think. Exactly. Exactly. And so I, I started doing that. At first, I was like, oh, I'll sell, you know, maybe two or three things. Now I'm trying to sell everything. It's so fun. Oh I love it. It is so fun. We're more of the like put it on the curb and write a sign on it that says free. I've gotten to that point of my life. That, that, that's what my mom is like. <laughs> well, because we're like, hey, just please someone just take it. Take it away. I'll pay you. 
<laughs> no, it's true. You get to that point in your life. Yeah. That's the way she is. But I, right now I'm like in the monopoly phase. I'm like, oh, this is this is exciting. Yep. I can make make some money here, make some money there. Need food money. There you go. <laughs> All right. Shall we jump into today's questions? Yes, let's get started. Okie dokie. So to start things off, we actually have a listener feedback email, and it also relates to some of the questions we're going to be discussing. So it's all, it all just goes together. And this email comes from David, and David said, Hey, Melanie, you all do a great job talking about nutrition and how to actually live an intermittent fasting lifestyle. That alone is worth five stars. However, Exercise seems to be dismissed with a lack of solid information or your actual experience. I wish you would talk about the many benefits of exercise that can't be accomplished with nutrition alone. Things such as strength, bone strength, endurance, mental health. I know you wear weights during the day. I do. (laughs) But I really don't think many will follow your lead there. Yes, I agree, David. It seems like Jen doesn't take exercise too seriously either. I've been doing intermittent fasting for one month and kept my normal exercise routine. I do a blend of everything, strength, endurance, flexibility, and I've experienced great results. I'm only down a couple pounds. I'm at 161. The most amazing thing is I'm down to 4.8% body fat. I've pretty much kept my calories. I don't count, but I think I'm pretty close the same. I haven't lost any strength or endurance. The best part of all is I've broken a night eating habit. I'm a firefighter of 15 years and finally feel free of random eating and bloating. I just listened to number 17. I'm catching up on all the episodes. And in that episode, you did do a great job introducing HIIT, which for listeners is high intensity interval training. It seems like you do get several great questions on exercise. I'm guessing many people are worried about not having energy to to exercise or doing damage to their bodies when they do fasted exercise. Some of the worries can be somewhat validated, but many could be from listening to years of bad exercise and nutritional advice. What do you think? Keep up the great work and looking forward to future episodes. Thanks again and keep up the great work. Quick note about this. Timing-wise, it was interesting because we were actually going to tackle a whole exercise topic of endurance training on a previous episode and then we didn't get to it and then we got this email. So it just, I feel like it's all meant to be. And I I will say we probably don't talk about exercise and fasting as much as we could. It's very interesting. Out of all the questions we get, the percentage of exercise questions are actually way smaller than I thought they would be. When we first started the podcast, we got more now we seem to be getting less, but this is actually this is great to hear from David, and I definitely agree we should be integrating it more. And it is true that both Jen and I do not do concentrated gym excursions. I, I do want to say yes. I think I think you're right. Neither of us are, are big gym goers, and you know I've had periods of time where I've joined the gym and just haven't gone because I'm so busy. Um, you know, to get to the gym. But I do have a funny story. We There are group members in the Facebook groups who are now wearing weights during the day. Oh my goodness. Are you serious? Oh, I'm so happy. It's true. Someone po- posted about it just this past week and said that she got it from you on the podcast. So I'm so excited. That's really exciting. <laughs> so pe- see, people really do pick up on, on all of these things. But Yes, um, David is exactly right. We do want to keep building our strength and our our bone strength, our endurance, and it's also great for mental health. Exercise definitely has a place in our lives. I tend to be one of those people that moves around a lot during my day, just in general. You know, I'm a, I'm a school teacher, and I'll I walk, 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 walk. You know, all around the the school, up and down the halls, around my classroom, and so I haven't felt the need to do a lot of formal exercise. I'll, you know, in the summer, I'll walk around the neighborhood. I get on my vibration plate, which is supposed to be great for building bone density and also um, muscle mass. So we do things, Melanie and I both do things to have movement throughout our day or to build muscle mass. We're just not, you know, at the gym doing, you know, high intensity interval training (laughs) like so many people are. But um, yeah. 
I think movement is so key. And I'm such a proponent of like functional exercise and embracing life as exercise. I think our current sedentary lifestyles that most people follow are, they're so detrimental to health and so just not good for our bodies. Um, So I'm really, really an advocate of moving as much as you can throughout the day, of doing heavy lifting and small concentrated amounts to basically keep your muscles in good shape. And also something to note, people get worried about muscle loss during the fasted state when actually intermittent fasting is very supportive of muscle growth actually, which is absolutely amazing. And um, it's also very important to stimulate your muscles during the day, weight-bearing exercise at the gym or just picking up and lifting heavy things because it's, it's like the phrase, use them or lose them. You need to let your body know that it needs to maintain its muscles, um, that it needs to maintain its muscle strength. So I think that's very important as well. Now, I was just going to say, sometimes I'll swing a kettlebell too. I have one in my closet. And so I'll just be like getting ready for bed and... So I'm like, oh, I'm going to swing my kettlebell. So I'll just do it a few times, (laughs) you know, just things like that. So I think Melanie Melanie and I both do move purposefully throughout our day. We're just not, you know, having a formal routine. I think some people gravitate towards the gym as their daily activity, as something they enjoy in life. And I think that's awesome. I think that is great. And so I completely support that. And that's just it that just happens to be an activity Jen and I don't personally do, but it's definitely super important. And I will say that quick plug in the uh, new version of my book, What When Wine, which you can pre-order on Amazon, um, I do have a section where it goes into the different quote intermittent fasting types of people. And I have the the exerciser there. <laughs> and uh I have all the studies about intermittent fasting and endurance and marathon and cardio and muscle building and how to live your life while integrating a lot of gym excursions. So that is there, I will say. There's actually a ton of um, studies on fasting and exercise. It's, it's really, really good for us. That's the, the main takeaway. Thumbs up yes. to fast and <laughs> exercise. And really, I think that just as, you know, for many of us that had to lose a lot of weight, I just naturally move more because I enjoy moving my smaller body. You know, a lot of us find that to be true. And so, you know, I enjoy taking a walk. I enjoy, you know, walking around the mall when I'm shopping for my new wardrobe, (laughs) that sort of thing. So I have my, my weights right now actually with me. I just like picking up heavy things. It makes me really happy. <laughs> me too. I love picking up like a heavy box and just moving it and knowing that I can, right? It's funny because as a, a female, and I could go on a whole tangent about stereotypes about that, but um, I'll often be carrying things and a well-meaning gentleman or man will be like, oh, let me carry that for you. And I'll be like, no, it's okay. And they're like, no, really, really, let me carry it for you. And I'm like, no, it's okay. Right. Like, I want yeah. to carry it. This is on purpose. Well, let's get into the questions because we have, I think it's three that are coming up. Yes, there are three that I'm going to read now that are all about exercise, and I'll read them and we can talk about them. And they're all about one certain type of exercise. Fabulous. And here it goes. We're thrilled to bring you Health IQ as the very first sponsor of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Health IQ is a life insurance agency rather than a broker, which uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people, like our intermittent fasting listeners. They can give our listeners exclusive rates, but you have to qualify by taking their online lifestyle quizzes based on everything from the metabolism to the paleo diet to, and I'm not making this up, people who like wearable weights like me. They personally guide you all throughout the life insurance process to make it easy and even fun. To see if you qualify, you can get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash fasting. Or you can mention the promo code fasting when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Totally check them out. We think you'll love them. 
All right. The first one is from Jen. Jen for Jennifer, it appears, not Jen like me. I'm Virginia, by the way. And people ask that sometimes, Jen for Virginia. This is Jen. It looks like Jennifer. And um, her question is, she says, hi, ladies. I'm loving your podcast. Just finished binge listening to all the episodes. Smiley face. I am new to IF. Started about a week ago following a clean fast 24 plan, meaning 20 hours fasted, four hour eating window each day. I haven't been calorie counting, just trying to pay attention to my body's cues about satiety. So far, I've lost five pounds. Woot, woot. And that was from Jen, but I agree. Good job there. She said that was from Jennifer. Yeah, that, that was from yeah. Jen. The woot, woot was from Jen, Jen the, Jen the listener. <laughs> but, I, but now it's from all of us. We're all saying woot, woot along with her. Back to Jen, as in Jennifer's question. She says, oh, and I'm a 41-year young mom of three awesome kids and one fur baby. My question is related to exercise. I am currently training for my second marathon, so I've got some pretty hefty mileage goals each week. This week, I ran 13.1 miles first thing in the morning in a fasted state. I did use two gel packs during my run, so my fast was broken with those. But I just continued on with my regular window after I finished, and I felt great. And I still feel great. How can I do a fasting lifestyle and marathon train at the same time? I did carbo load during my window the night before this long run, and I'm staying very well hydrated at all times. It seems there's been a lot written about eating 30 to 60 minutes post-workout to reap the most benefits of lean muscle building. But I do remember Melanie saying that really you just need to eat healthy within the 24-hour window of your workout. Is this true for this more intense workout too? Am I missing out on some health benefits of fasting slash working out slash feeding by waiting to eat so long after my run? What else do I need to consider? Do I only worry about how I'm feeling and adjust based on that? Help. Thanks in advance. Then we have another question from Stuart. His subject is for endurance athletes. And Stuart says, hello all. I'm new to IF as of October 1st, 2017, and I'm loving it so far. My question is, how would you two recommend implementing an IF method of eating for someone that enjoys endurance sports, specifically triathlon, when many of my workouts can be up to two and three hour runs or three and four hour bike rides? I've been fine with workouts less than one hour in duration and typically do them while fasting. My plan is to schedule those long workouts while in my feeding window and will play around with the timing of workouts versus fasting period, but I'd also like to get y'all's opinion. I'm passionate about triathlon and do it for enjoyment as well as fitness, so reducing my workout load really isn't a likely scenario. But I've also struggled to get lean and to an optimal, quote, racing weight, so I'm hoping IF will help. Thanks for your feedback. And then finally, our listener, Cassidy, the subject, half marathon running and IF. Cassidy writes, hi, ladies. I recently have been doing a lot of research on IF and stumbled on your podcast. I've been doing IF for a week with 16-8, and that's a a 16-hour fast with an eight-hour eating window. I love this lifestyle and already can tell how much better this makes me feel. Twice a year, I sign up for half marathons to run and train for. Do you have any tips for long-distance runners? I don't start training for my next one until January 1st, but what I'm thinking right now is that when I go for my long runs on the weekends, I will just try to plan it around eating or I'll make adjustments. Just curious to see what you have to say. I'm getting married on May 11th, 2018 in Mexico. Congratulations, Cassidy. I've always struggled with being chubby no matter how much I run, so I'm hoping by switching to this lifestyle, I will be able to look and feel amazing for my wedding. So glad I stumbled on you ladies. I drive all day for work, and I usually don't listen to podcasts, so you have made my drives awesome and motivating. All right, Melanie, what you going to tell us about working out? Alrighty. Well, I will start by saying that I... And I don't think Jen, <laughs> neither of us do marathons or endurance training or anything of that sort. So we are not speaking from personal experience, unfortunately. That said, we are capable of researching and Jen has a wonderful, well, we both have a wonderful um, 
audience to pull from in the Facebook groups and with the podcast listeners. So there's a lot of feedback that we can pull from for sure. So I have so many thoughts here. Okay, here we go. So in general, intermittent fasting is very supportive of endurance, actually, because it supports a fat-burning state that's very scientifically supported in the literature. The studies do show very cohesively that in general, fasted training promotes endurance. It makes sense, though, if you think about it, because intermittent fasting encourages your body to naturally rely on your body fat stores for energy. And with endurance training, that's a type of training, unlike, say, high-intensity training or sprints. With endurance, you're going long distances. You need a long, steady state of fuel, which can come perfectly from your body fat. A few little fun, quick facts. You can basically deplete your glycogen stores in, an, in one intense exercise se- session. And your glycogen stores, those are the, the energy stores in your muscles and liver that come from carbohydrates. Many athletes, I would say most athletes, rely on carbs to fuel their exercise. And so those stores are limited. Those glycogen stores are limited. You can actually deplete those in one intense exercise session, while the average person actually has enough stored body fat to walk over 1,000 miles, which is just mind-blowing. I mean, I can't even... (laughs) That's crazy. And then also, people who are relying primarily on constant food intake, primarily from carbohydrates for fuel when exercising, they have this problem where they um, hit the wall. I'm sure most people know what hitting the wall is. It's um, this feeling when you're exercising or doing a lot of movement where you're good and you're going and you feel like you could just go forever and then all of a sudden you just can't. Your body just stops. It's like the uh, the image of marathon racers or racers in general at the end of the race literally having to crawl to the finish line at the end. It's because their bodies hit the wall and Interestingly, research has shown that the hitting the wall thing, it's basically your body slowing you down to to stop you because you're running out of energy, not from your body fat, but from carbohydrate stores. And your brain actually instigates the, quote, hit the wall state before you're even completely glycogen, glycogen depleted. So even when you still have energy um, in the form of carbohydrates, your brain can shut you down. And that's actually a reason that some people think the whole, you know, the th- you know, Jen, where like the, like the miracles that happen where people all of a sudden have this huge burst of energy and are able to like lift cars or, or do something really amazing physically. Yes. Yeah. So that actually might be because in general, we actually have way more energy. We have way more power than we think we have, but our body and our brain actually stops us from using it so that A, we don't run out of energy and B, that we don't hurt ourselves in the process. So it's like a protective mechanism. Okay. And I haven't even gone into the technicalities of anything yet, but that's my overall general thoughts about why encouraging a fat burning state rather than a carb burning state would be great for endurance training. That's my thesis on that. Do you want to talk about that a little bit before we go into specifics of how to choose intermittent fasting patterns? Yeah, I do want to say one thing. I think you you answered it all very well. I just want to point out that for people that are new to intermittent fasting, it's going to be more difficult to access your stored fat at first. You know, as Melanie was talking about depleting your glycogen, that's during the adjustment period when we start to feel very just tired and lethargic and our bodies are like, eat something, send food down, and and it's it's difficult. So if you're trying to work out during your first few weeks, like maybe the first three weeks, and your body hasn't really switched over to fat burning yet during the fast, you're going to have a really, really hard time doing any kind of endurance activity until your body gets good at using your um, your body fat. So just keep that in mind. So when we're making recommendations about exercising in the fasted state and that your body's going to be great at using your fat for fuel, that won't be true at first. You know, like <laughs> when you're first starting out, it's going to feel like you're trying to exercise through molasses and you just have to kind of um, expect that and work through it. 
that actually taps in exactly to what I was going to say next, which is oh yay, perfect. <laughs> um, so I will say that the majority of what I'm about to say next is coming from research and the books and the website of Mark Sisson, which I'm a big Mark Sisson fan. And I actually will refer listeners to his book, Primal Endurance, which speaks a lot to training and endurance (laughs) and marathons paired with a whole foods type diet, which I realize you don't have to do that with intermittent fasting, but that is a huge aspect of it, as well as uh, he talks about fasting as well. But he has some great material on the subject. So a lot of what I'm about to say is coming from um, his website, his books. So I'm just putting that out there. You don't want to plagiarize anything. What you want to do is basically teach your body to use fat burning and go through the process to get there using intermittent fasting, using smart fuel and food intake. And then on the actual endurance race days, you can bring back (laughs) some of that um, pre-workout fuel, some of that carbohydrate. So then you become basically a Superman, hopefully, in your in your endurance and marathon in endeavors. So it uh, goes back to what Jim was saying about how it's going to be difficult at first to get into that fat burning state. So for these questions, the listeners seemed like for the training and such, they wanted to sort of gravitate towards eating to support their endurance. When I think what would be best and what Mark thinks would probably be best is to actually train in the fasted state, really encourage your body to get super comfortable with running on fat stores. Like Jen said, it's going to be difficult at first. It's not going to be easy at first, but training that way to really get there and then come the actual race day, you can do some little smart tweaks um, where you actually do take in some carbohydrates and easily assimilated forms before the race, possibly during the race. And by the race, I mean the the marathon, the endurance training, the um, the triathlon, whatever it may be. And so then you're getting the best of both worlds because your body will be super comfortable with running off of fat and it's going to primarily run off of fat during your event. But then you can supplement and you can give yourself that, that sprightly burst of energy, that little bit amount of glucose that it does need and easily assimilated forms, which I can speak about um, specifically. Well, my, my, is he saying that it's because you're metabolically flexible that at that time that you're able to switch back and forth, like you get the glucose and then your body's like, now I'm tapping into the fat without that whole transition. Is that what he's saying? Yes, exactly. What he's saying is that most people, and so he's coming from it from more of like a food perspective, but I think this relates completely the same way to the the intermittent fasting as well. Basically, people who are relying on constant food intake, constant carbohydrate intake, non-fasted, that's very limiting. And they're going to have to constantly fuel and it's going to be it's a it's a hindrance to the body it's a it's a roadblock to your your endurance and to your performance whereas if you can reach the state of what you just said Jen, metabolic flexibility where your body is very very good at using fat for fuel which you can do that through food choices through intermittent fasting through fasted training then your body is going to primarily in your events run off a of body fat but then you can smartly supplement with which I'll talk about carb sources. So for both situations where you're talking about food as the fuel or fasting as the fuel, it's going to be great to create that fat burning state. And then like I said, keep saying I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to talk about uh, the actual fueling during the race. I feel like I'm doing so much talking. Do do you want to jump in? No, I think you're you're handling it. Keep it going. (laughs) This is your marathon, Melanie, your marathon of of question answering. I did a lot of research. Okay. So here's what Mark um, recommends, and I agree with completely. And like I said, this comes from more of a food perspective, but I really think it goes with intermittent fasting as well. So he recommends creating that fat-burning state. So from a food perspective, that would be eating low-carb during your training period. And then for intermittent fasting, it would be training in the fasted state. So we're going to... We're not going to go to carbs. We're not going to go to constant eating to fuel our, our our training. We're going to do it in the fasted state. We're going to muddle through. 
because when you're training, you're not competing with somebody. So it doesn't even really matter if, if you win, you know, we're, we're just, we're building the machinery. We're, we're building what we need. As you get closer and closer to your event, that's when you can actually start. And this would be coming from a food perspective, but if you're not doing a lower carb diet, then you can disregard this. But if you're doing a lower, lower carb diet, coupled with intermittent fasting, then you can start eating more carbs a few days before your event. I'm going to recommend healthy whole foods that are really going to support support your activity levels. Um, I'm a big firm believer in that. So things like whole food carbohydrate sources, like starchy root vegetables, some tubers, fruits, rice, um, things like that. So he actually recommends getting up to around 350 grams of carbs per day in the few days before your event, which, so the actual race day, so the actual event day, the marathon day. So food intake aside, hopefully we've been doing fasted training. Our body is metabolically adept and flexible, and it's down to use body fat. It's used to, it's used to using body fat, but now it's the actual race day. So what do we do? Do we eat? Do we not eat? What do we do? Okay, we're going to sort of eat. So he recommends the actual day of your event, eating a light breakfast that has a little bit of everything, that has some protein, that has some fats, has some carbs. So he specifically recommends maybe like a few eggs, maybe a banana, maybe half of a yam, nothing too heavy. So that's an option if you, if you want. He also recommends drinking coffee, which will help mobilize fat stores. Alternatively, if you don't even want to eat, you could go to a more liquid, easily assimilated form of fuel source the day of your event, especially if you've been doing a lot of fasted training and you you like that that empty fat-fueled state feeling where, you, where you're not burdened by the, the feeling of digestion. This is me more speaking now. So rather than turning to energy drinks and exercise supplements and all the stuff, I actually recommend, Mark actually recommends, and also, I don't know if people are familiar with uh, the Keto Gains website. I don't know how you say his name exactly, but Luis, it's like Villa Senor who runs the Keto Gains website, if people are familiar with him. I know he also recommends a similar supplemental protocol with uh, electrolytes and easily assimilated forms of sugar in the forms of, um, he either recommends glucose or dextrose. I'm not quite sure, but basically the day of the event, in addition to running off of your body fat stores, you can support your glucose stores by taking in very small amounts of glucose, which is basically sugar from carbohydrates in a liquid state. So you could either do like just pure glucose, which you can buy, or you can make actually your own shake support thing. And Mark actually has a recipe for that. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes for all of this information. If you want the the links to everything we're talking about, um, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 35, and that will have links to all of this. So you don't have to be writing down everything I'm saying. Uh, we'll have all the links there. So for example, on Mark's blog post, which I'll have a link to that, he has a energy, his own homemade version of a sport, sport drink or an energy gel. It includes coconut water, some salt, some honey, some molasses, and he talks about how to make it, how to make that, how to combine it, and how to drink it during your event. I would completely recommend that 100% rather than getting those commercial things with all the additives, just making your own. What that's going to do is your body has been so used to running on in the fastest state, running on your body fat stores while training. And now you have best of both worlds in your event because you can do fasted training. You can do your marathon or your event in the quote fasted state, but you can supplement with this, with your magical carbohydrate drink, which your body has not had in a while. It's the best of both worlds because you're able to run long-term wise during the event on your fat, but then you can supplement with this glucose to really give you that kick that you need. And something that Mark does mention, I think this is very important, day of your event, since your body is hasn't been relying on glucose or anything like that because of hopefully the nature of your training, when you do have a little bit of this drink, which you're supposed to drink in very small amounts throughout the race, and he talks about that in his post, so I'll just link to that. It's going to make you feel like a superhuman for a second. And so you shouldn't go like super crazy, especially for endurance events. You don't want to go super crazy and just start 
crazy and try to get, you know, miles ahead of everybody. Just know you have the energy. Start like you would normally with normal fasted training. Get your body that into that endurance state, into that fat burning state, and then use the, the supplemental um, drink that you've made to keep you going throughout the event. So he talks about that more in his posts. I'll put links to that. I also, like I said, really recommend that people check out his book, Primal Endurance. Yeah. So that's what he recommends. And that's, and like I said, he comes from more of a food perspective, but I think it fits very well with intermittent fasting. And so that's what I would recommend. Long, long, long story short, long, long, long story short, train in the fasted state, keep on keeping on, even if it seems difficult and then use smart supplementation with easily assimilated forms of carbs, hopefully in your homemade drink shake the day of your event is the long story short. Yeah, well, there is literally nothing I could add to that. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you see me running really fast, that you better start running too. Something's chasing me, right? I think I've said that before, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not the person who's going to give a lot of advice on the, the running. So, yeah. I don't know. Do we address all of their I, – I think so. I mean, I, I feel like we did because it was all about, you know, how to, how to make it work for you. Reading Cassidy's question, who's talking about getting ready for the, for the wedding and um, also saying struggling with being chubby, I feel like the running in the fasted state will actually help with that a lot because you'll be tapping into your fat stores during the running. I think so as well. And then also going back to Jennifer's question, she brought up the whole fasting, supporting lean muscle building and the best way to get those benefits and did she need to adjust accordingly. And she talks about how I said that as long as you adequately refill with protein within 24 hours that you'll be good for your workout. And that's what the studies have shown. That's true. But um, I will say, Jennifer, if you personally just find that you recover better eating your protein closer to, you know, closer to your actual workout rather than later, do what makes you feel best and do wherever you see the most muscle growth, the most muscle support. You've really got to find what works for you. Just know that it's okay if you don't eat until later, but you may, you may personally benefit more by eating right after you work out and many people might. So I would actually love listeners to give us feedback on this. If you have feedback on any of this, I would love to hear it so much. Yeah, I, I agree because that's going to be the best experience is hearing from people who have done it. Yes. Yes, definitely. And also if there are listeners who have already found the perfect way to inter to integrate intermittent fasting with um, endurance training, marathon training, all the stuff, please send us emails. Please let us know. I would love to hear. Yeah. We would love to read that and share your advice with the world. Shall we move on? <laughs> Shall yeah, move on to our next question. So our next question comes from Pat, and the subject is IF benefits question. And Pat says, hi, ladies. Love your podcast. I've read both of Jen's books and even have the window app. Oh, hey, that's the app that Jen's son developed to uh, track your fasting windows. We have linked to that on the website, which speaking of, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, uh, that's where we have a list to all of the supplements, all of the things, all of the products that we like. And so there is a link there to that app. So you can get that app there. Back to the question. Pat says, I'm eight days into IF and my next goal is to shorten my eating window from six hours, one to seven p.m. to four hours, three to seven p.m. as I'm interested eventually in one meal a day. Right now at 1 p.m. I eat some yogurt with blueberries and slivered almonds and I love that meal. It makes me a bit sad to be losing that lunch and mentally it's a stumbling block to pushing back my eating window to 3 p.m. I got thinking about this as it pertains to IF fasting benefits. I think we can agree that the same number of calories spread over the whole day is not as good as eating that number in a shorter window because of the benefits achieved during the fasting window. So I'm wondering, if I eat the yogurt and dinner in 6 hours and the yogurt and dinner in 4 hours, does that extra 2 hours produce additional benefits for health and weight loss? I'm mostly just curious about it factually. 
I know that I will let hunger determine what and how much I eat during the shortened window, as I'm already experiencing appetite correction. Just curious about your thoughts. Thanks very much. Jen, I'm going to let you take over this one. All right. I'll be glad to. Pat, great question. Um, Now, you talked about when you eat at 1 o'clock, you have yogurt with blueberries and slivered almonds and that you love that meal and you're sad to be losing it. And, of course, you know I'm going to say you don't have to lose it. Just push it back to 3. Eat that same exact thing at 3 p.m. instead of 1 p.m. And open your window with that yogurt and the blueberries and the almonds. So, um, you know, you don't have to do it all at one time. Push it back a little bit. You know, maybe start having it at one thirty, and then start having it at 2 and so forth. And then eventually you'll be having it at 3. And, you know, one question we often get is, you know, well, how's a four-hour window one meal a day? You know, if you open with yogurt and blueberries and slivered almonds and then have like an actual meal later, is that one meal a day? Yes, it is. You know, the key is that you're only having one actual meal. And I don't know, maybe I just like really giant meals, but to me, a yogurt with some blueberries and almonds just isn't ever going to be something I would consider to be a meal. Um, to me, it's just a snack. So what about you, Melanie? What do you think is a, would you consider a yogurt with blueberries and almonds a, a meal? It seems like a snack, but then I guess... I don't, I hate talking about calories, but um, like calories wise, it could actually add up to a substantial amount of both nutrition and calories. So yeah, I mean like stereotype wise, it seems like a snack, but I think, I think it's very filling. It could be as filling as a normal meal. See, it would not fill me up at all. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be like, all right, that's a good starter. So I would I would tend to to have yogurt and like just as a little way to open my window and then have like an actual meal later. So and really that is what um, Pat was saying she was considering doing, having the yogurt and dinner in four hours. And she wants to know what that extra two hours would would do as in terms of health and weight loss. And you know, there's all sorts of graphs floating around that we've seen in the intermittent fasting world and you know, people have just made them and shared them and so we're not really sure who even has who made them and who, who where they came from, the, the origin of some of these graphs. But one of them that I've seen a lot has to do with like when is the peak time for you for fat burning within your fast. And of course, these are all going to be averages. And, you know, because we're all different. It depends on what you ate. It depends on how active you are. So many things. But that period of time, starting at about 16 hours, the the hour 16 of your fast, you know, ramping up as you approach 20 hours up to 24 hours, that's where your body is really shifting into prime fat burning. So your body does ramp up those processes. So you are going to find a difference whether you have, um, you know, let me do some math, an 18-hour fast, you're just going to really be getting cranked up versus if you can make it two more hours, you're really going to have some prime fat burning going on. You know, if you've you've seen a graph with like the curves upward to show that it accelerates over time. So you really do find that it accelerates over time. So it's not like you're burning the same amount of fat at hour 16 and then it's going to keep burning that steady amount. It's actually going to ramp up. So... Keep that in mind. Yeah, you are going to have more benefits pushing that window a little bit up. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, I think what you said is absolutely spot on. So two hours doesn't seem like a lot, but if when it's occurring in that prime fat burning, that prime fasted period, it can do a lot. So it's those hours right before you break the fast where it's becoming – where those two hours I think are really going to be making a difference. So for Pat – Rather than eating between one and three, fasting from one and three, those extra two hours, they actually might make a big difference long-term wise. I think so. Yeah, I've, I found for me, you know, Pat mentions appetite correction, and that's a phrase um, popularized by Dr. Burt Hearing in his fabulous book, Appetite Correction, which I'm sure is on the Stuff We Love list, right? Yes, Stuff We Like. Yeah, Stuff We Like. Sorry, but I love it. <laughs> stuff, stuff We Like. But we do love it. But I found that when I was actively trying to lose weight, I got better appetite correction with about like a one-hour eating window because that period of time when my body just really ramped up the fat burning and then I I would open my window, I would have, like I said, an hour window, 
I didn't need to eat as much food because my body was like, hey, I'm happy. You know, it was happily running on my fat, and so there was still fat to go around. So my body said, you don't really need to eat as much as you think. So I found excellent appetite correction with a one-hour window, and it really worked well for me. And I lost weight faster, of course. I lost about two pounds a week at that point. It was as I was approaching goal. You know, how many people start to lose weight faster when they are almost at their goal? Not very many. Usually that's when it, you know, kind of tapers off, but... I lost weight faster at that point, and it was just so easy because of that appetite correction that the um, the one hour went. Oh, and I will say, so you're talking about how people make all these online graphs, and we don't really know where they come from, which is so true. It is. Um, but, but actually, so there's this one study, and I'll have to find the link to it because it's been a while since I read it, but it's actually a foundational study that I've used in general just for understanding the fasted state and how the body uses different fuels based on if you're fasting or if you're eating. And it it has a graph, which is actually easy to read for once. Normally those study, a lot of those study graphs are kind of crazy and you don't really know what they're saying. Um, but it's actually very easy to look at. And it shows this, it shows the curve that you're talking about with the, with the hours. Um, so I will put a link in the show notes to that study so listeners can look at that and You'll be able to see because I know Pat asked if there was actually anything factually about the hours and looking at that graph, you can kind of see that uh, fat burning really ramps up at a certain, the longer you go and especially in like that, that golden, that golden window. So we have time for one more question and this one is from Aaron and Aaron says, hey, Melanie, I wanted to say I've really been enjoying your podcast so far. I was wondering whether there is one that addresses tummy rumbles. I notice that when I'm fasting but drink black coffee, my stomach makes a lot of noise, which is embarrassing in meetings throughout the day while I'm working. Is there a suggestion for dealing with that, or is it just not a great idea to drink coffee on an empty stomach? All right. I love this question. We have not received this specific question before. Have people talked about this in the Facebook group, Jen? Well, we do talk about rumbling and hunger and what's happening a lot. <laughs> Has anybody talked about like the the audible the sound sounds being the- a problem, <laughs> being a, a roadblock in the intermittent fasting world? I'm sure someone has mentioned it. <laughs> we should do an episode where it's, I mean, this would not be good because it would be all the problems with intermittent fasting, but it could be, we could do an episode tackling all the weird little problems you might experience. That would be fun. That that would be fun, yeah. So listeners, send us send us your weird problems. We'll put <laughs> I could probably make a list too. Yeah, I think we yeah. should do this. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, all right. So y'all, send us your questions on weird problems. Okay, so so everybody, send us your your weird problems. Don't send us like I'm hungry. Don't send us that. <laughs> that is not a weird problem. <laughs> that does not count. <laughs> things that wouldn't count because we get these questions a lot don't send like even though these are real and we love addressing them and talking about them but not things like i'm hungry or i'm lethargic or brain fog or um i'm having trouble sticking to it those those don't count okay send send the really weird ones and your subject subject line can be weird problems yes please oh i'm so excited oh i can't wait can't wait for the weird problems episode yes this is so (laughs) great okay this will be fun oh wait maybe we should save this should we save this then no, let's answer this one now. It'll be our teaser for the weird problem. Okay, our, okay. So here comes the teaser <laughs> for the weird problems episode. Okay, so I'll talk scientifically what's going on. Most likely, I mean, it could technically be a lot of things, but basically, stomach growling. The actual term for it is, and I think I talked about this on a previous podcast at some point. But it's a bowel sound or a, quote, peristaltic sound. I guess that's how you say it. But basically, it relates to peristalsis. Is that how you say it? I don't know. It's one of those words again that we never say. These we words, just read it. These words. We just read them. I know. Um, but what that relates to is the migrating motor complex and the intestinal movements in your intestines and your stomach to keep to start the digestive process and to keep things moving. And um, coffee 
can stimulate that. This is just a personal note, but I am super jealous of people who have tummy rumbles. <laughs> like Aaron, I'm so jealous of you because my problem is the flip side. I struggle with my migraine motor complex a little bit ever since I got food poisoning and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and food digestion problems. I, I'm always trying to support things moving in my intestines. So I actually haven't had like the, the rumbling sound. I totally know what you're talking about, but I actually haven't had that in ever since I got digestive problems, which is interesting. Wow. That is so interesting. That is a weird problem, Melanie. Hashtag weird problems. So see, yeah, I guess the rest of us just take it for granted. Yeah, do, that, do that. not take your bowel sounds for granted or do not take your, your stomach, stomach rumbling for granted. It's a beautiful thing. Actually, and I did see this in a study. It was saying that uh, if you're completely silent all the time, that it can actually be an indicator of problems like intestinal obstructions or may indicate constipation or other things. And I was like, yeah, that that makes sense. My silent stomach. I did find one study, a 2005 study. It was looking at coffee, nicotine, and water and how they increase something called rectal tone, which relates to all of this. They found that nicotine, interestingly, does not increase rectal tone, but coffee and water does. And the conclusion was that coffee and water have effects on defecation by increasing rectal tone. So we're saying we would like increased rectal tone. Just trying to clarify. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good thing. But as far as dealing with this, practically, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I think I think it's just the way. Unless you want, I don't. I don't know. Jen, do you do you have thoughts? No, I just I feel like it's just one of those natural things that your body does. So, you know, maybe other people don't hear it as much as you think they do. Because you know, it, you you hear it, you feel it, and it, it always feels like it's louder than it is. I mean, I guess if people are staring at you, then <laughs> they're getting it. But no, I, I don't have that problem. As I mean, my stomach will maybe rumble here and there, but I've never had anybody like staring at me because of it. I can drink coffee on an empty stomach and trust me, there is no growling. My silent stomach has nothing to say, but for you, that might just be the way it is. I don't have trouble with coffee on an empty stomach either. I wonder if whether or not it was uh, quote bulletproof coffee, if you wonder if that would change things. I'm just curious, just speaking aloud, if adding um, like MCT oil or something to it would change. I don't know. I don't know. Or you could try it. You could try tea, Aaron. I mean, that would be switching drinks completely. Yeah, I feel like I feel like a fail, but I can't help you out more. Yeah, we're not we're not sure how to handle that. This is not a good sign for our weird problems episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder if anybody else has that. So, y'all, if you have anything with tummy rumbling, send it in, and maybe maybe you have a solution. All right, I think that's all we have time for today. Well, this was lovely. So a few things before we go. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 35. That's where we're going to have the show notes, like I mentioned, especially um, for, for listeners who were interested in the endurance training and all of that stuff. I'll have links to the resources for that. I'm kind of outsourcing the resources for that. Also on that website, if you'd like to submit your own questions, especially if you'd like to submit your weird problems, <laughs> um, you could, two ways you can do that. You can also do that at our website that I just mentioned. So just go to ifpodcast.com and there's a submit questions section there. You can also directly email us at questions at ifpodcast.com. Also at that website, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, and that's where we talk about all of the stuff we like. So, for example, I think we brought up Appetite Correction book in this episode, and but there's lots of stuff on that, on that page. It's just growing and growing. And then lastly, you can subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, and uh, then you will get the episodes downloaded automatically each week. You won't even have to do anything. They'll just magically pop up. Although we did learn, I think, last week's episode, there are problems with um. The problems with the server that we use, and so the episode wasn't popping up automatically, and you would think the world was ending, which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, 
thank you, thank you to everyone who let us know about that. But yeah, it was out of our control because it was the server having the problems. But um, yeah, that morning I got lots and lots of messages about it. So I am super excited that everyone counts on our podcast on Mondays. It made it made me feel very good. So, <laughs> and also like a little freaked out because we couldn't fix it. <laughs> and, and what was weird was it was working on mostly for me. The, the actually, I think the one link. And here's a little little hack for listeners that I learned from that experience. If for some reason it's not working on iTunes, it's not working wherever you're getting it from. The the actual website, the page the actual website page. So like I have podcast.com slash episode 35. That's probably going to be your best bet for live streaming it. I don't know. That's just what it seems like when we had that problem last week. Hopefully that won't happen again. That seems to be the best link. Okay. And then um, what was I saying? Oh, so when you're in iTunes, if you feel like it, we would absolutely love, love, love if you could write a brief review of the podcast. That's just would be super appreciated and it helps more than you know. So any final thoughts from you today, Jen? No, not at all. Just everybody enjoy the holiday season because we are right smack in the middle of it. Yes, we are. Love December. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, I will see you next week. All right. right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember... The opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.